0: sacred in the scriptures, something that is very important for each and every one of us to observe. In fact, uh, Jesus left only two ordinances to the church, two things that he wanted his church to observe on a regular uh, basis, uh, two ordinances that he wanted us to follow. One was baptism. And we find in scriptures that he says baptism is, uh, is a public example of an inward decision. It's a public profession of an inward um, decision to follow Christ. And so uh, baptism we follow after we've accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. You find that in Scripture over and over and over again. In Acts chapter 8, for instance, you'd find that uh, before uh, a man was baptized there in that chapter, he first had to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. There was salvation that was prior to baptism. But baptism is something that we are to follow as an act of obedience uh, as a church. And the second one is what we're going to observe this morning, and that is the, the Lord's Supper. And one of the there are many reasons for why the church is to observe the Lord's Supper, why we are to practice this in our lives and as a church. But let me just share three of them with you, if I could, before we actually observe the Lord's Supper. Number one, the reason that we do this, the reason we observe the Lord's Supper is to remember Jesus. And you know, each and every one of us need that. We need a time where we can stop And just remember who Jesus is. Uh, Jesus is, the Bible says, our best friend. Jesus is the man who died for sinners, who loved sinners. And uh, at a time like this, when we observe the Lord's Supper, we're to think about just Jesus, the man. A man who met our need. A man who loved us enough that he left his home in heaven to come to this earth. The Bible says he took upon himself flesh so we remember Jesus. But a second thing that we observe when we observe the Lord's Supper is we remember what Jesus did, his work. And what he did on the cross is why we know that heaven is our home. It is why we know that we have been forgiven, that we have been redeemed because of what he did. And uh, in this celebration of the Lord's Supper, we'll take a moment and we'll think about his body that was beaten and bruised for us, that was pierced, for our sin. We'll think about the blood that was shed on that cross as he gave his life for us. But a third reason for why we observe the Lord's Supper is for accountability. And each and every one of us need to be accountable. Accountable to one another, but most importantly, accountable to God. In fact, Paul said this in First Corinthians chapter 11. He says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. And what Paul was saying there unworthily is he's saying if you're participating, but you've never accepted Christ as your savior and you've never been baptized, then you are partaking of something that you're not worthy to partake of. And you say, well, is that because I haven't been good enough pastor? No, none of us are good enough. But it's because of what Christ did. Our faith in what Christ did for us allows us to be now worthy to observe this celebration of the Lord's Supper. But if you've never made a decision to follow Christ as your Savior, if you've never followed in believer's baptism, Paul said, well, then we're observing unworthily. And that's why he says you need to make sure, one, that you are participating in a manner that is worthy. And secondly, he says In verse 28, But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. And that's why it's so important to observe the Lord's Supper. He says, examine ourselves. It's a time in which we need to pause and reflect and say, am I walking in a way that would please my Savior. By the way, that doesn't mean you have to be perfect. That means you ought to take time right now and say, before I eat of this bread and before I drink of this cup, Father, if there be anything that is missing in my life, if I am coming short, if I have wronged someone, if I have had a, a life that has not been reflecting your love and your grace, then would you forgive me? Would you help me to live that way? That's why it's being accountable, to being accountable to God before we observe the Lord's Supper. So before we observe this morning, I want to take a moment and pray and ask God to prepare our hearts as we observe the Lord's Supper. Father, we thank you this morning that you have been so loving towards us, that your grace is so amazing. Father, at this time, we, we want to pause and just say thank you. Thank you because it is your love that sent you here. It was your love that motivated you to give your life for us. And Father, we truly are thankful and grateful because you changed our life. You changed who we are. You have made us new creations through Christ. And, and Father, what a wonderful life that is to be in Christ. And Father, I pray if there be any here in our own life we know as we take a time to just examine our life right now to say Lord if there are wrong attitudes in us if there is uh, a sin that father has been drawing us back from you I pray that you would forgive us at this moment I pray that you would draw us close to you now father that your blood would cleanse us from all unrighteousness and that as we observe this bread and this drink, that it would be in a way that would, that would remind us of how we've been forgiven and that would motivate us to live a life that would be pure and holy, a life that would bring you honor and glory. And so I pray that you would, that you would prepare us now as we observe this, this supper. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the instruction is clear in First Corinthians chapter 11. Paul says this, he says, For I received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. This morning, as we take the bread, let us take and eat. In remembrance of him. Paul continues and says, After the same manner also he took the cup. And when he gets up, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Let us do this in remembrance of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the blood that was spilt there at the cross. Father, nothing could wash away our sins. Not our good works, not our good deeds, not our good attitudes, nothing. We couldn't buy it and we couldn't earn it. Oh, but Father, we have been blessed because we could receive it, because of the work that you paid on the cross, the blood that you shed, the body that you sacrificed on that altar for us. Father, we are here this morning thankful and grateful. And now I pray that as we, as we meditate on all that we have received as a result of salvation through you, I pray that you would that you would help us and fill us with your spirit to live a life that would honor and glorify you. Father, I pray not only this day that we would do that and in this moment, but Father, throughout our week this week, throughout this month, that we would live a life that would only please you, that we would ever be drawing closer to you. And So, Father, I pray you bless the service this morning, that you bless every... Uh, Person that is tuning in, those of us here in your house, I pray that you would help us to now honor and glorify you in the rest of this service. And I ask this in Jesus' name, Amen.
1: Our feet at this time, and uh, we're going to continue on worshiping together. And what a quite appropriate song as uh, this next song. Yet not I, but through Christ, but but through Christ in me. And so let's continue to worship this morning, singing this wonderful song. ago there is nothing more than heaven for heaven to give There's nothing more he's given it all when he gave jesus christ when he gave us his only begotten son because he loved us so much and what a wonderful reality to sing about Uh, this last song speaks about the man of sorrows that lamb of god so let's sing this song and prepare our hearts for the that. Well, you know what? We haven't done so much. We haven't turned to our neighbor and said good morning. So let's do that. Say good morning to your neighbor this morning. Uh, it's so good to see each and every one of you. And I know we had the Lord's Supper in between there, but I just realized that we didn't get a chance to say good morning and uh, let each and every one of us know that it is a joy to see each other in the house of the Lord. And uh, thank you for making time out of your Sunday morning to be here this uh, this day and to worship with us. And uh, we're so glad that you're so glad that each and every here. Well, let's lift our voices and prepare our, our hearts for the messages to follow. Let's sing man of sorrow.
0: Bibles, go going to open to the book of James. We're going to continue our series that we have been learning on genuine faith. What does it mean to have genuine Christianity in our lives, authentic faith? Well, the book of James is the book you want to study in the Bible uh, to really discover what that really means and how that really affects your life, how your Christian faith should affect your life. And uh, And we live in a day and age, as I've said before, where it just seems like everything has the name Christian, right? We say, oh, we are a Christian nation, uh, but sometimes our laws don't reflect that. Uh, we sometimes say, oh, we, we have a, a Christian home, but sometimes the way we live doesn't reflect that. Sometimes we, we want to say and label things Christian because there's a Bible there or because there's a church logo there, but that's not really what makes something Christian. And we've been learning in the book of James just because there's a title On It doesn't really make it so. Just because we want to say, well, I'm a man of faith really doesn't mean you're living by faith. Uh, It's going to be more than that. It has to be more than that. Genuine Christianity, authentic faith is more than just saying, I have faith. And in the book of James, we have been learning that. We've been learning that uh, faith really comes into our life when we're going through difficult times. In fact, that was the first thing James addressed. He said, man, if you really want to see real faith, well, what do you do when things go sideways in your life? Uh, what is it that you run to and, and how does faith really even come into your life during those times? How does it affect your life? And if it doesn't affect your life in any way, then you probably don't have biblical faith. You don't have authentic faith. You, you might just have the title but you don't have authentic faith. It says, uh, James says, it ought to affect what you do when you're going through difficult times. It ought to affect the way you see life, your perspective on uh, uh, everything you do, your your job and your home and uh, how you view society and everything ought to be affected by your faith. And then we learned that uh, the the faith that we have uh, has a reward uh, when living by that faith. Uh, There is a reward, there is a blessing for it. And then uh, we learn that real faith uh, allows you and gives you the power to overcome temptation in your life. All right, so James says, this is what authentic faith looks like. If you're not overcoming sin in your life, that's a good indication that faith isn't doing its work in your life. It's a good indication that maybe the faith that we are touting isn't real faith. It's not at least biblical faith. It's not really having the effect in your, in your life that the word of God teaches that it should. And so uh, overcoming sin in our, in our life is only done by having faith in our life, right? By believing and applying what God's word has said. So then we get to verse 19 and, uh, and James says, okay, Because all of that is true, because this is what authentic faith looks like, and this is where it comes in into your life, then there are some things that ought to be resultant. One could be maybe our attitude towards faith, if you want to give it a a kind of summary of the first 18 verses. Really, James is talking about our attitude in, uh, in trials, our attitude with the world, our attitude against temptation. But then he says, because of that, because this is the viewpoint of authentic faith, now... It ought to move you to action. And faith always, authentic faith, right? Real faith always moves a person to action. If there's no action behind our faith, it's not real faith, okay? In fact, we're going to learn in chapter 2 that James calls it a dead faith, okay? There's nothing that really proves that it's alive and working and doing anything. So, James says, okay, real faith moves us to action. The first action that we have is hearing the word of God. We learned about that last week. You you have the action of hearing what God's word says. And then secondly, not just hearing, but receiving. Hearing is saying, I understand what God is saying. Receiving is, I accept that that is true. Like in other words, when God says, you know what? There's nothing good in you. There's nothing good about you. I understand what he's saying. He's saying, I'm no good. Receiving that, he's saying, I believe that to be true. I believe that if there's anything that I have done that has been a blessing to someone else, it's not because of me. It's because of God in me. It's not my natural reaction to just be thinking about people and saying, oh, I wonder what they're going through. I wonder how I can be a help to them. That's not my natural tendency. By the way, just look at our society. You know that to be true. It's not just true about you and me this morning. It's true about everyone in our world. This is why our world is so broken This is why people are robbing from other people and beating them and and doing all kinds of things. This is why riots are happening and this is why all this happens because our tendency isn't to say, oh, I wonder what the need is over there. Let me go supply that need. It's not our tendency. So James says this, okay, the action of our faith first makes us to understand what God is saying. Secondly, to accept that that is true, but it doesn't end there. Verse 22, look at verse 22. That's where we're going to pick it up in our study this morning. Verse 22, he says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. What are we going to learn about authentic faith this morning? We're going to learn that the only way that the Bible can make a difference in our life, or in the life of any person, is if that person acts upon the Bible. Just for the fact that we are here seated in the auditorium this morning, it's a good thing, but it doesn't mean our lives will be changed in any way. Just because we understand what God has saying and we accept it to be true, doesn't mean anything's going to change. How many politicians have you heard say, our system is broken, and then go along with the system later? See, they understand and they accept, but they don't do the next thing. That's where they stop. That's where they are satisfied to be. And what we're going to learn this morning is that what we ought to do as Christians is not just hear and receive, but then do. There are two more actions that we're going to look at besides hearing and receiving that we must have in our life if we're going to have a faith that is authentic, that is real. Now, I was thinking about this this week. Uh, There's a brand in 1987... This brand started a campaign, and it's a campaign that what they were trying to do was really impact uh, their industry, and they did. They did in an amazing way. They impacted the shoe and clothing uh, world in a way that perhaps no other brand has done per se. I mean, it was something that hit not just in our nation, but worldwide, 1987, uh, this guy by the name of Dan Whedon was hired, and uh, the company wanted him to help them with a campaign to really hit everyone. They wanted to hit the person that is uh, playing any sport, but not just sports. They wanted to hit the person that was cross-training right, just to stay in good health, but they didn't just want to hit the people that were dedicated already. They wanted to help the one that was a beginner. They wanted to hit the people that were, that were maybe not even uh, staying healthy or working out. They wanted to try to draw them in, and they thought, okay, what can we do to get a message to them to, to start buying our clothing and jump into this philosophy, into this lifestyle, and there in 1987, starting with this campaign, the phrase came up, Just do it. Now, when I say just do it, what is the brand I'm talking about? Nike. Nike. Everybody knows this, right? I wish I could say only us in this church know that, but it's not true. Everybody in every church knows this. Listen, you can go to China and they know this. Uh, you can go to Russia, you can go to France, you can go anywhere in the world, anywhere where there is any kind of civilization and you'll find mostly in the world, right? there's, I know there's almost 8 billion people, so I can't, ex- I can't say that every single person, but the majority of the world knows that the phrase, just do it, belongs to Nike. But you know, before 1987, before that campaign ever came, That phrase was already something that was being shared in the Christian community. If you read the book of James, you would know this was something that was already being shared. Now, Dan did not get it from the Bible, but he could have if he would have just read the book of James. He would know this is a perfect phrase. Just do it because that's exactly what James is now directing us to do. He's saying, okay, now that you've heard the word, now that you've received the word, what is the next step? There's two more actions to follow. Number one, the action of application. James says, now do. You've heard, you've accepted, now do. You see, you and I cannot have authentic faith without first applying God's word in our life. And I love that James focuses on you. God says, listen, before you try to change your world, before you try to change your family, before you try to change others, you first need to change. It starts with with you. So he starts with this principle of saying, listen, there's an action that needs to take place, and that's the action of application, and that application starts with you. Now, hearing is important. It's vital to understand what God says. It's important to agree with God, but without that application, it just leaves us lying to ourselves. James says, You're just deceiving yourself. And you know what? The truth of the matter is, so many times we're comfortable with that life. We're comfortable just kind of lying to ourselves. Sometimes it's easier. To live a lie than face the truth. Isn't that right? Sometimes we'd rather just deny everything than have to confront things. This is why there are marriage problems and divorces. Because instead of confronting the issue, we rather just put it away, tuck it away, just live the lie. And this is why the church has lost so much of its impact in our world. Because it's easier just to kind of lie to ourselves and say, "No, no, no, I know what the Bible. the Bible says this and this and this." and, that, and that's great. How much are we doing? I' never forget the story that I read of the Senator uh, that asked the, uh, the preacher uh, there before Congress who was trying to advocate, we need to have more prayer in schools, and we shouldn't take away prayers out of the schools." And the senator said, "Hey, uh, preacher, I agree with you, but let me ask you, how much prayer have you done at home?" Today, the preacher was silent. This of doing, this of application starts with us. Because if it doesn't start with you, you're just lying to yourself. It's this application to yourself that makes all the difference. And I want you to notice, first of all, that James says it requires more than just a personal glance. In verse number 23, he says, For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man beholding his natural face in a glass. In case uh, I know that's a little bit older English, what he's talking about is simply a thing called a mirror. Now, all of us have probably um, have one of these at, at home. You probably have a different size. This is a very small size. But uh, in, your, uh, in your bathroom or somewhere in your house, you're going to have one of these. Now, the whole purpose of having a mirror is one thing, to correct whatever's out of place on you, right? You, you get the mirror and you, you reflect in a mirror or you look at the reflection to say, okay, is my hair looking okay? Um, uh, how is there I have anything on my face? Do I have anything on my clothes? You use the mirror to try to correct, right, whatever might be out of place on you. And James says, when we take the word of God and we become doers of the word of God, then suddenly the word of God becomes like a mirror to us. So the whole point of doing the word of God, the whole, the whole point of uh, hearing, I should say, and accepting the word of God so we can do. If you don't, it's kind of like he says, looking in the mirror and then doing nothing about it. This, this, this mirror, this instrument, it gives us clarity as to what we look like. It gives us clarity as to who we are. And James says, that's what the Bible does. But it's going to require more than just a glance. Now, the word there, behold. He beholdeth himself. That word, what he's... It's a a word in the Greek there that that means, like, take a glance. Like, look at yourself, and then go. You're you're not really spending a lot of time in the mirror. You just kind of look in the mirror, and then you go, right? You you, you walk by, okay, and you go. And he said, it's like the guy that looks by, sees, and keeps walking. Now, as you're walking, if you just glance in the mirror and you keep walking if you notice in the glance that maybe your hair is a little bit messed up or there's something wrong, you could probably walk and do this, right? But you're probably going to have to go back to the mirror to see if you corrected it at some point, right? Sometimes we do that if we're in a hurry. We're, 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 we're at a store, right? And you see your reflection. You're like, okay, good. Then you do this. And then you get to the next door and you realize that when you did this, it didn't really change anything. It didn't, it didn't help, right? That's what James is saying. Sometimes... The person that is hearing and he's receiving what God has said, he's he's looking, he's glancing in the mirror, but then he says, then he forgets. He walks away and tries to do it by memory. Oh yeah, this is what I was supposed to. I think this is how I fixed it. I'm I'm not really sure. And James says, "That's, that's not what you ought to do when you're looking at a mirror. Now notice what Paul says about the Word of God. Look in 2 Timothy, put in your notes. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. He says, All scripture, that's the Bible, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, that is what is right, for reproof, that is what is wrong, for correction, that is how to get right, and for instruction in righteousness, that's how to stay right. So the Bible says, listen, you, uh, if you can connect this now with what James is saying, he's saying you look at the mirror of the Bible and you say, oh, this is what is right. The Bible tells me what is right. It tells me what is wrong. It tells me how I can get right. And it tells me how I can live and stay right. I mean, the Bible can help you if you look at it to understand who you are and how to make it right. But it's going to require if the Bible is going to do that more than just a glance in a mirror. The Bible is going to have to be something more than just something you kind of glance at and forget about. It's something that you're going to have to get into. It's going to be something that you're going to have to start applying in your personal life. You see, when we don't actually do what God says, we're simply living that lie. We're going, I think I look fine. People are looking at us and going, dude, you going to fix your hair? I'm fine. I know this is a pet peeve. I, I've had a, a few tell me uh, over the years that sometimes I start preaching and, and I'll do this and I'll just leave my tie like this. And then after the service, I'll be like, your tie was crooked and bothered me the whole time. Well, are you OCD people? Yeah. Um, but if I would sit here and go, no, nah, it's okay. Your tie's crooked. No, nah, I think it's fine. I'm lying to myself. If I say, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm, I look like I'm put together. You're going to say, okay, but you're not. That's what happens when you look at the Bible, you hear what God says, you understand, and you say, yeah, that's true. Okay, now are you going to apply it in your life? No, I'm fine. It's like looking in a mirror and forgetting what you look like. And James says, see, there are a lot of Christians forgetting what they look like. They look at a glance, they're gone. He said, it ought not to be that way. He said, well, then how should it be? James addresses that next. He says, now uh, the person, but whoso, he says in verse 25, looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continue therein. He being not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. It requires us to have a personal gaze. There's a huge difference between a glance and a gaze. Big difference. Usually when we start dating, we like gazing at one another. It may start with a glance. Oh, but by the end, by that dating time and marriage time, you're gazing at one another. You know, James actually uses a different word. In verse 22 and 23... Or 23 and 24, he uses the word that we translate behold. And I told you that that's just a glance. It's something like you're, you're just looking and then going. In verse 25, he says, looketh. That's why it's a different word instead of behold. Looketh. And that word is to look intensely. Now, I didn't know this because I did not have sisters uh, growing up. And so I, I came to find this out uh, after I got married. But this mirror, which many of you would probably recognize, has one mirror that you kind of see like a a far off, right? A a little bit. You see your reflection. It's clear. You can fix some things and and you're ready to roll. But the other side, this side, this side is discouraging, right? I mean, there have been times where I thought, hey, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not breaking out that bad. This is not too bad. And then I look at this side. It's a hideous creature, I say. I'm not even joking. It's crazy how like detailed this thing is. Because this side of the mirror has the intention of really looking deep. And James says, "You know, when you look in scripture, that's how you're supposed to look. Deep. Gaze into it. Look at what God is saying." And then fix it. And then do it. We find James saying, whoever can do that, that way, whoever can take the word of God and begin to look at it in this manner. Wow. It could be changing. It's life changing. Uh, there, I put in your notes, Luke chapter 24. You might be wondering, why is that verse in here? Luke 24, 12, or John chapter 20, verse four and five. Because that, that, that word where it says, and stooping down, it says, then arose Peter and ran under the sepulcher and stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves. That word stooping down, that's translated, is the same word looketh. In other words, when Peter went into the, into the uh, sepulcher, he didn't just like, all right, Jesus is gone, let's go. No, no, no. He went in and he was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Here are the rags. Okay, well, maybe the body's in this corner. No, no, no. Maybe they moved it over here. I mean, he was thoroughly inspecting. In John chapter 20, it says, even John, John looked in. He didn't run in like Peter did in the sepulchre. He looked in, but he wasn't just glancing and that's it. No, he was looking. He was searching. He was trying to say, okay, let me, is he here or not? Mary told us it was gone. Mary said that maybe somebody stole him. Maybe Mary just didn't look enough. James says, when we read the scripture, By the way, he calls it the perfect law of liberty. The word perfect there means the complete. The complete law here of God's word. Something that gives us freedom. That's why he has a law of liberty. So when you look at it, and intensely look at it and you gaze upon it. Wow, it begins to show you who you really are. But suddenly you can start changing things when you start applying it. I love the fact uh, that the Bible teaches that change comes from the inside out. You know that? Religion teaches change comes from the outside in. If I do this and I do this and I do this, suddenly I'm this. The Bible says no. See, real change starts from the inside out. The Bible says, I first make you holy. I first make you blameless. I first make you a peculiar people. Then you can actually do something else. Then you have the freedom to serve me. Then you have the freedom to live for me. Then you have the power to overcome sin. Then you have the power to be able to make it through the difficult times of life, through those uh, diverse trials of life. Then, then from the inside out is that change." So he says, look in in the word of God to see your reflection, not someone else's. The average church member today uh, looks into the perfect law of liberty to see how he can condemn someone else. That ought not be how we look at the perfect law of liberty. It's the application here. James says, it starts here. And you ought to look intensely at that. It requires humility, yes. It requires meekness, yes. It's hard to be honest with ourselves sometimes. It's hard to look and say, really? Wow. It's hard. But we find that the scripture says that's real faith. That's really what's going to change your life. This action of applying it into my life. Application starts with you. So let me ask you something. What are you doing in God's word? James says, be doers of the word, not hearers only. Uh, Be one that looks intently at the word of God and apply it in your life. Let me ask you, how are we doing in that area? Because James says, that's how. That's how authentic faith works. It starts inside. It works its way out. It starts in me before I can impact others. But then I want you to notice in verse 26 that though that change starts in me, though the application starts in my life, there is the action of assimilation. Now, the action of assimilation focuses on others in our doing. While well, application has me as the focus, assimilation has others. You see, it's when our doing affects more than just me. When my my application starts with me, but as it begins to change me, it actually affects others. It leads me to do things for others. So, if we're going to assimilate the Word of God, it requires first of all edifying others. Uh, Notice what James says in verse twenty six. He says, If any man among you seem to be religious, say so, no no no, I'm 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 a man of faith and I, I live by faith, and he says, And bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. In other words, if he's using his mouth to bring about gossip and lying and to tear down uh, those around him, if he's using his mouth to cause uh, division and disruption, then that person doesn't have authentic faith. No, 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 but they have faith, not authentic faith. James says, if we're going to assimilate what we've been applying to our life, if we're going to have it affect the lives of others, it starts with the edification of others. Like Paul said over and over, whether it was in Ephesus or whether it was in Philippi, he said, hey, you ought to love one another. You ought to edify one another. You ought to help one another. That's how we affect the lives of others. The apostle John said it this way. He said, if a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? In other words, you're going to talk about faith. Well, let me ask you in all of the talking that we have about our faith. Are you using that faith to edify others? You want to be considered someone that really loves God well, it starts right here. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Guard your heart, for out of it are the issues of life. Authentic faith. Authentic faith has the action of assimilation that requires us to edify others. Part of living God's truth is lifting up others through prayer, encouragement, and edification. Doing this reveals to others our faith is something that's real. Paul told the church at Philippi, listen, you guys have met my need. In fact, of all the churches that I've helped establish, of all the churches that I've tried to minister to, you guys have been the only ones to meet my needs. It seems like you're the only ones that are reflecting a real faith towards what you are doing for others what you're assimilating in your life. It starts with edifying others, but let me just say this. It requires us to help those in need. Pure and undefiled, uh, pure religion undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. As we put into action what God's word says, it will inevitably lead us to help those that are most needy around us. Now, can I just say, James is not saying the only people we help are widows and orphans. That's not what he's saying. The reason he uses orphans and widows was because in the time and in the society that he wrote this, they were the most in need at that time. There was no public programs to help them. There was no uh, uh, government programs that were going to be taking kids off the street and giving them some shelter. There was, there was no one that was doing that. And James said, if anybody should be doing that, it's us, people of faith, people that, that say, no, we believe in the goodness of God and in the love of God, then where is it shown? How does that affect others? It affects others when we assimilate the truth. See, when we apply it into our lives, suddenly that begins to not just affect us, but affects what we do. That's why James is saying, be doers of the word. Yeah, you understand, hey, God is loving and God is merciful. How does God's love and mercy affecting your coworker this week? Because if it's not, how is he supposed to believe in God's love and mercy? That's all James is saying pure religion, undefiled. And when he says the word, by the way, the translation of the word religion here isn't like a set of belief. It's what we do with our faith. That's what religion there means here in this context. It's what our faith leads us to do. He said a real faith leads you to help those that are in need. Jesus said in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. Look at Jesus' ministry. Read the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Anytime you see Jesus, he's always meeting needs. Hey, there's a blind guy. What did Jesus do? Gave him sight. Hey, there, there's a, a man that's lame that can't walk. What did Jesus say? Get up and walk. Hey, there's a big crowd here that is hungry. What did Jesus do? Let's feed him. Over and over and over again, Jesus is just meeting needs, meeting needs, meeting needs. James says, that's what authentic faith does. It meets needs. It it looks for those that are in need around me and says, what can I do to help that? Who are those that are are really going through a difficult time? How can I help that? You see, this morning God is... Calling you and me to action. Four steps in that action. One, we got to understand what does God say. Number two, we got to believe it. And say, no, God is right. It's receiving it. And then James, James says, now just do it. Action number three, apply it into my life. Start doing that in my life. And number four, just assimilate. Start, start impacting the lives of others by edifying them. Encouraging them by serving them. That's the call to action that the Word of God calls us to. But it's going to require from us more than just a glance. You gotta to have to gaze. Can I ask you it this way? How much time have we gazed in God's word this week? Not just read it. And I thank God for every minute that I've taken to read. But I've caught myself sometimes reading without gazing. Glancing. But not allowing what I am seeing to change me. By the way, that's nobody else's fault but mine. I can't say, oh, well this book's a little bit flawed no actually it's perfect I can't say well that's it's because the preacher you know he's just not been as clear he may not be but this is just gaze the call to action in gazing at the word of God and assimilating by edifying and meeting the needs of others I wonder this morning, how authentic is our faith? I found this um, story, it didn't have like, it had an anonymous author, but I thought it was so fitting for what the book of James is saying here in these verses. It was titled, I Saw Jesus. It says, I saw Jesus last week. He was wearing blue jeans and an old shirt. He was up at the building we call our church. He was alone and working hard. And for just a minute, he looked like a little one of the people who regularly attend our church. But it was Jesus. I could tell by his smile. I saw Jesus last Sunday. He was teaching a Bible class. He didn't talk real loud or use long words. But, but you could tell he believed what he said. And for just a moment, he looked like my Sunday school teacher. But it was Jesus. I could tell by his loving voice. I saw Jesus yesterday. He was at the hospital visiting a friend who was sick. They prayed together quietly, and for just a minute, he looked like the guy I saw at the worship gathering last week in our service. But it was Jesus. I could tell by the tears in his eyes. I saw Jesus this morning. He's in my kitchen making my breakfast and fixing me a special lunch. And for just a, a minute it it looked like my wife but but it was Jesus. I could feel the love from his heart. I saw Jesus this afternoon. He was cutting the grass in the community where I live. He was smiling and waving at everyone who was driving down our street and it made me feel special even if it was only for a moment. And for a minute I thought it was just another person we pay to keep our community clean. But I noticed it was Jesus. No one else has that much joy. He said, I see Jesus everywhere, taking food to the sick, welcoming others to his home, being friendly to someone who needs love, and for just a minute, I think he's someone I know, but it's always Jesus. I can tell by the way he serves. And it ends, may someone see Jesus in you today. James says, but be ye doers of the word, not hearers only. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this truth. What an amazing truth. The call to action of applying what we understand and what we accept as truth, applying it into our life. Allowing it to change us, to change our thinking, to change our living to change how we love to change what we care about and what we think Father I pray that we would be able to gaze upon you and as we gaze on you we not only see who we are but we allow you to change us into what you want us to be to live how you want us to live. Help us, Father, to impact others as a result of that living differently. Father, there's people in need all around us. And Father, if we see who we are and forget, those needs will never be met. The call is so simple today, Father. Our desire is to respond. To respond with action. The action of following and being a doer of your word. We can't do that without the power of your Holy Spirit. We can't do that without controlling, without you controlling our life. And So, Father, I pray that you would do just that. May this week be a week in which we apply more of your word as a result of us gazing into that perfect law of liberty. And then help us to assimilate that truth. Help us to take it to those around us that are in need. Help us to be encouragement and help us to edify others. Help us not to divide, but help us to unite. Was to tell the world that we have the solution for its problems. And it's found in you and you alone. So I pray, Father, that you would help us do that even this day and this week. And I ask this in Jesus' precious name.
1: great challenge this morning if you would stand to your feet just a few announcements before we cut you guys loose and that is next sunday night we do have a business meeting i'll encourage all of us to be a part of that meeting as a church and that will take place in the evening and so that'll be the 13th of june next thursday night uh, next sunday night Uh, that we'll be having that also if you have not signed up your kids for camp we do have the upcoming camp weeks ahead of us and so there's an opportunity for kids two different weeks uh, for kids to go to overnight camp and there's two different weeks for teenagers to go to teen camp and then we also have a day camp that will be taking place at the end of our summer season Uh, which will be that last week of july 12th through the 16th and uh, if anybody would like to be a part of any of those weeks we encourage you to sign up as a church we are making a big effort to try and help you uh, to get your child to camp for free and so we'll be doing some fundraisers and uh, i know that uh, we'll be announcing a little bit more about that here in the coming weeks Uh, but if you would like your camper to go you do not need to pay right now all you have to do is sign up And like I said, I think as a church, we'll be able to gather the funds to send everybody to camp this summer, and we're excited about what God's going to do in the lives of each one of those. I would ask for your prayers. I know many here that'll be part of the summer staff, and this week we do start our staff training week and uh, getting things going for our summer season, so we do cover your prayers in regards to that. Well, we thank you for having been at church today. We trust that it will have been an encouragement to you. We uh, pray that you would have a good week. You're dismissed this morning. Thank you this afternoon. God bless.